He is always worthy. So let's continue to worship him. Let's continue to lift up the name of Jesus and give him all the praise and glory he deserves. Amen.
Sometimes we just be needed to be still and trust in his goodness. You know, the Bible says he knows the plans that he has for us. He's in control of everything. He knows the number of days that you have, the number of hairs on your head. And, you know, and there's a verse in the Bible and it just says, be still and know that he is God. So sometimes I just think we just need to be still and know that he's in control put our faith and our trust into him. Too many times we try to take the reins when we just need to wait on him. We just need to trust in who he is and in his goodness. So can we just commit to doing that this morning? Say, God, I'm just going to wait on you. Whatever my expectation is, whatever I'm dealing with, I just want to wait on you.
I don't believe in fairy tales Guess I've outgrown But that doesn't mean I don't believe That there's something bigger than me Cause I seen it in a hospital room When the doctor said sorry There's nothing more we can do Well it wasn't through I've never seen a particle at the end of a rainbow But I've got a promise I can hold in the middle of the struggle But if you said it, you'll perform it May not be how I want you to But here's what I'll do I'm gonna wait on you I'm gonna wait on you I'll taste in your goodness I'll trust in your promise I'm gonna wait on you I'm gonna wait on you I'll taste in your goodness I'll trust in your promise I'm gonna wait on you We will 
before him. Holy Spirit, come and speak. We don't want to rush. We just want to rest in your presence and in your goodness. Father, I believe you're already speaking to hearts about something that they've been trying to take a hold of and solve themselves when you're just telling them, wait. They've been praying and they've been praying and they've been wanting to see something change in their circumstance or in their life, Lord. And it just feels like they're not making any ground, but you're just telling them to wait. You're doing so much more than we can see. You're doing so much more outside of the framework of our knowledge and expectation, Father God. So we're just going to wait on you. Trust in your goodness. And trust in your promises. For there's no greater place to be than in your arms and building our lives on you, Lord. Our strong and our firm foundation. For your word says that we can make plans, but you are the one that directs our steps. So we're just going to wait. Father, be, please be it, Pastor James. He delivers the word, Father. Let us receive it. Let us hear it and respond in obedience and sacrifice and thankfulness and surrender. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Belongers. My name is James. Glad to be here with you. And I'm glad to also introduce you to our newest staff member, Chris Meek. Now, for those of you who've been around a little bit, Chris is not new. Chris has been here uh, and has ministered here at Selling Fields for a long time. In fact, Chris was very instrumental into discovering the property that this building, this, this building is built on. And so Chris has some history here and we're excited uh, about Chris joining us back on the campus here at Selling Fields Community Church as our live campus pastor. Now, some of you who are new to this idea of campuses are wondering what in the world is a campus and what is a live campus pastor? You know that when I laid out the vision for our, during our State of the Church address, I talked about looking at us from the perspective of ministering through four campuses. The live campus, which is right here on the main campus here, and then we talked about home campus, an online campus, and a global campus. 
And for us to make the live campus work, we needed someone who brings great leadership skills to the table and great coaching skills to come back and to engage our campus again. And when I first uh, made the decision to come back to Salem Fields Community Church, the first person that popped into my mind that I wanted to have on the team was Chris Meek. And so, um, and so I'm excited that God has worked it all out and uh, Chris is here. So let, let me let him introduce himself a little bit and talk about some things that he's excited about. Well, thanks, James. And it is great to be back, uh, to return back to Single Fields. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, it's, it's a great place to be part of. It's always been something that, a place that's been near and dear to myself and my family. Um, we are, I am looking forward to partnering with people and helping people discover um, their role in the kingdom and what God has for them. And uh, just exploring uh, life together. And it's all about relationships, as you know. And uh, so it'll be exciting. We'll figure it out. And what the live campus pastor is, we'll figure it out together. Yeah, I love the idea that Chris at heart is a coach. And so many staff people who are here, including myself, have been coached by him over the years. And so this just gives him an opportunity to bring his coaching skills, whether it's coaching for sports or coaching and mentoring people in life, to our campus. And so I believe that we're gonna have better leaders because we have a leader like Chris on campus and doing ministry and in our community. So I'm excited about it. Chris has always been about the community. He's, uh, he was one of the people that helped us reach out back then and he will be reaching, helping us reach out again now. And so we're excited about it. You get the last word. Oh, well, I am excited and uh, we'll figure it out as we go. And great days ahead as always. Uh, Salem Fields is a great place and guys always touch Salem Fields and looking forward to the future with you. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. You can tell I said excited like a thousand times. I'm really excited about that I am. And so it's great to have Chris joining us on the team again. And uh, so we have our global campus pastor and our live campus pastor and two more uh, to go. Hey, I want to tell you about something exciting that's getting ready to go on uh, that our, our September uh, the fifth fireworks, annual fireworks celebration is happening. And uh, if you're interested in connecting by volunteering or being a sponsor, we have two ways that you can let us know. The first way, and this is going to be new for some of you, but the first way is to text fireworks to 94000. So if you get out your phone and you text nine, uh, fireworks to the number 94000, that will connect you with our event coordinator who will get your information and give you more information on how you can connect through volunteering or sponsoring. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can go right outside and do a face-to-face -face connection by talking at going, going to the fireworks table and talking to uh, Kim. I think Kim Huffman will be out there, or someone on her team, that will give you more information about volunteering or sponsoring uh, that event. It's going to be a great event, and we want you to be a great part of that event. Hey, we've been in this series, for some of you who might not know, we've been in this series uh, called Revelation. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at this great book, this book that sometimes is scary, this book that people kind of are fearful about, this book where people believe that the book is about uh, number 666 or Antichrist or a whole bunch of destruction and a whole bunch of melee. And what I've said to you that the main thing of Revelation is Jesus, the lamb that was slain. He is the main thing in Revelation. And so we've been looking at what does it mean? What does it mean to um, hear John talk about? hear John, the revelator, talk about what is and what will be. And what was during the day when John was writing this letter was seven churches in Asia Minor, seven churches that were going through some stuff. There was a busy church that Jesus said to them, keep first things first. There was a suffering church where Jesus said, look up and look out. There was a confused church where Jesus said, your doubts grow out of your relationships. There was a tolerant church where Jesus said, stay uncomfortable with everything, with anything, that all the stuff that violates scripture. And what he says to a dying church is don't give up, wake up. So today we're going to talk about the church of Philadelphia. And what Jesus was saying to that church is, is find your strength, a growing church, find your strength in Jesus Christ. When I was growing up, I grew up with five brothers. 
five brothers and one household with a dad who was an Air Force CIA guy. There was enough testosterone in that house that my mom and my sisters had to put up with. And, and on Saturdays, on Saturdays, the big thing that we would do is we would watch WWF. Not WWE, WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. And we would watch that on WDCA Channel 20. It came on at noon. And, and here's the deal. Undoubtedly, we would take some of the, some of the wrestling moves that we were seeing. Uh, uh, Ivan Polsky and the, and the Polish Hammer, right? And we would take Bobby Backlund and his, his knee, atomic knee drop. And un undoubtedly, we would, we would take the mattresses down in the basement. And we would put them together. And we would start our wrestling moves. And see, here's what would happen. You had a lot of testosterone going on. And, and, and what happens is, is sometimes someone, instead of kind of dropping that atomic knee uh, elbow and, and missing the person like they would do in wrestling, you would actually hit the person with the atomic elbow. And then the fights would start. Now, here's the deal. My father didn't have any problem with a lot of stuff that we did. But if we were fighting, he would get very upset because he had this brotherly love thing. He was like the five Hayward brothers, all for one, one for all. And so anytime we would fight, then he would come in and he would be the settler of all the disputes. And you know what I'm talking about. He would come down and he would settle the disputes, right? And so the, the brotherly love thing, he was serious about that. He said we would rise together, we would fall together, we would fight together. My dad was into brotherly love at any cost. Well, the church in Philadelphia, the word is kind of brotherly love for the church. Would you hear what Jesus says to the church? Write this to Philadelphia, to the angel of the church, the holy, the true, David's key in his hand, opening doors that no one can lock, locking doors that no one can open, speaks. I see what you've done. Now you see what I've done. I've opened a door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength. I know that. You need what you, what you use what you had to keep my word. You didn't deny me even when times were rough. And watch as I take those who call themselves true believers, but are nothing but of the kind pretenders whose true membership is in the club of Satan. Watch as I strip off their pretensions and they're forced to acknowledge it is you that I have loved because you kept my word with passionate patience. I'll keep you safe in the time of testing that will be here soon all over the earth. Every man, woman, and child put to the test. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. I'll make each conqueror a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, a permanent position of honor. Then I'll write names on you, the pillars, the name of my God, the name of God's city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and my new name. Are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. So let me, let me give you some biblical kind of background, some, a little historical background for about this church in Philadelphia. The first thing you need to know is that the city was founded 150 years before Jesus and was named Philadelphia because an early prominent leader at the time had been so loyal to his brother that the people nicknamed him Brother Lover. Thus, the Greek name combining the two ideas of brother and love came together to give us our name, Philadelphia. The city was one that was po poised with a vast right uh, at the crosswind of different cultures, right? Right there at the crosswind of different cultures. The city was, was built to influence travelers and those who would come through the city uh, in Greek ideas and thought. And, in fact, the purpose of Alexander the Great was to influence the whole world in Greek culture and philosophy. And Philadelphia was one of the cities that he wanted to use to do just that, to make his dream become a reality. The second bit of information that's important as we look at the church in Philadelphia is that Christians in the area were a marked minority. Compared to the Hellenists, the Greeks of that time, uh, uh, they faced ridicule because they were so small in number. 
I mean, and it would have been tough enough if they would just be little by those who claim to be outside the church, those who, who claim to be outside of Christianity, but they were getting ridiculed. They were getting ridiculed and beat up, not only from without, but also from within. The church faced open hostility from a sect of people who considered themselves to be the true Christians. You ever been around a person like that? You know, I, I'm, I'm the true Christian, and the rest of you guys, you might be kind of pretenders, but, but they were getting beat up by those people because these folks, the folks who, who were the real Christians, who thought themselves as the real Christians, they were strict and conservative in their keeping of Jewish ceremonies and the law that they believed and the law, and because of that, they believed that they were the only ones that had access to the love of God. They berated other Christians who were in the city. Here's the last bit of information you need to know that's helpful to us looking at the church. The region was marked by serious and frequent earthquakes. As a matter of fact, the whole city was nearly destroyed in AD 17 and had to be completely rebuilt. And from AD 17 on, a level of fear marked the people in Philadelphia. Every time an earthquake struck or aftershock would hit, people would run out of the buildings and run into the streets and run into the countryside because the buildings were held up by pillars. And when an earthquake or an aftershock would come, the pillars would begin to shake. And as the pillars collapsed, the buildings were collapsed, and people were running out and many people died because those pillars were collapsing during the earthquake. Now let me give you a couple of biblical insights. In verse 7, I love this, Jesus is giving us some self-identification. He says this, he who is holy, who is true, who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one will open, says this. So Jesus begins to give a little introduction to the setup of what he wants to say to this church that's feeling disempowered, that's feeling disenfranchised. Basically, he's saying, you can trust me. Isn't it great that, that when we're going through difficult times, when things aren't going right in our lives, we hear God who says to us, you can trust me. I'm the God that you can count on. You might not be able to count on family. You might not be able to count on your finances. You might not be able to count on your jobs. You might not even be able to count on your spouse, but you can count on me. Jesus says to them, you can trust me. Notice the words that he used to talk about himself. He says to himself, I'm holy. Very simply, we know this means incorruptible. It means flawless. And then he says, I'm true. I am holy and I'm also true, which means genuine. There is no discrepancy between what he says and what he does. But, but I keep on thinking, didn't they already know this? Didn't, weren't they Christians, right? I mean, why is he preaching to the choir? Uh, it, it brings us to our first insight. I, I believe the reason why I was saying this is because every now and then we need a pep talk. Every now and then, we need a pep talk. Have you ever been in a situation, you're feeling down, things aren't going your way, and, and you're just kind of feeling, not feeling good about things, and someone comes into your life, and they, and they, and they pet you on the shoulder, and they just speak encouragement into you? Encouragement, to give courage. People just encourage you. I think every now and then, we need a pep talk. There are times when every belonger, Every Christian who is, who is living their lives for Christ and who's going through, because if you live your life for Christ, you're going to go through. Paul said it. Jesus said it. We've seen it all through Scripture. If you live your life for Christ, you are, you are living different than the world, and you're going to go through. We all have peaks and valleys in our faith. We have times when our trust quotient is high and times when, when the, the voice of doubt kind of whispers in our ear and asks the question, is this really true? The Philadelphians were feeling very weak and uncertain at times. A small, potentially growing church that wasn't very influential. The, the church was being told by other religious types that Jesus didn't even love them. <laughs> 
So right from the start and right from his heart, Jesus offers this consolation. I am still trustworthy. I am still the holy and true Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to tell the church that even though they might not be noticed by the culture and even though they might be ignored by those people who really believe they're the church, he says, I know. I love this. I love the God who knows. Not, not, not only a God uh, that gives us a pep talk, but the God who knows. Have you, have you detected this pattern in the messages that we've done about the church? Have you seen as we read through these, these letters to the church? Every church is addressed with words like these. I know all about you. I know what you're facing. I see what you're doing. I know where you are living. I know your deeds. Isn't it good to know that the God who loves us, the God who created us, he knows you might think that, you might think like the deist, that he's sitting on his hands, that he wind the place up and walked away, but he knows. He knows. Someone here today, someone listening online needs to hear that and needs to take that in, needs to hear that from a heart perspective. God knows what you're going through. He knows what's happening. He knows the things that impact you. He knows who is, who is attacking you. God knows the holy, the true David's key in his hand, opening doors no one can lock, locking doors no one can open. That one sees what you've done. And he says to the church, now see what I've done. I've opened the door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength. I know that. You used it to keep my words. You didn't deny me when things were tough. So now he tells the church, I've opened the door before you that no one can slam shut. A couple of things are going on here. First, there's a bit of scripture that will help us get some historical background if you read Isaiah 22, there's a prophecy told about a king who is going to select a servant. And, and to that servant, he's going to give the keys to the palace. What does it mean when he tells the church he puts an open door before them? The church was small compared to secular culture. It, it was ignored compared to kind of the people who thought they were the real Christians. The church was on shaky ground, literally. And it could rock any time. It was powerless to stop that. It's in a culture that seemed to be coming against it. And in that context, Jesus says, I've done for you what you cannot do. I've opened the door. Can you hear him say to you today, you might not have a lot of strength. The culture might be coming against you, but I've opened a door that no one can slam shut. You might not have control over everything, but I do, and I've opened the door. With this, I think the obvious explanation here is that he's opened the door for them to have access to God. We know the, in the gospel that Jesus describes himself as him being the door. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. He said on more than one occasion, it is him, it's through him, it's by him that we are rightly connected to God. I think there's a double meaning in this idea of open door before them. It takes us to insight number three, Jesus is in charge. Can you hear him say it today? I'm in charge. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're seeing, no matter what you're hearing, no matter all the rumors and all the things around you, I am in charge, Jesus says. He can elevate, right? He can highlight. He can empower. He can use. He can fill. He can transform. He can change. He can turn things around. He can give you a new start. He can forgive sin. He's the one who is in charge. He can bless, he can produce effectiveness in whoever he wants. It's great news. He's in charge. I know, I know that we hear things like it's all about finances, that financial power is the real power, or it's political power is the real power. You know, that's not, Jesus is in charge. And he says to the church, 
regardless of culture, regardless of increasing secularization of society, regardless of increasing anti-Christian sentiment, regardless of opposition, regardless of the odds, God can do through you and through us, the church, anything he wants. We can be unstoppable when God steps in. Let me, let me make this a little personable, personable because the scripture always gets personal, right? It always gets personal. He's saying that this, I am the one who holds the key to your future. I am the one who can open doors and shut doors. I am the one who can open for you new opportunities and new beginnings. I'm the one that can give you a do-over. I am the one and I can close doors that need to be closed. I can keep you from things that, that would damage you or hurt you. I can close doors to old chapters of your life. I can close doors to old hurts and old habits and, and old hang-ups. The good news, Jesus was expressing his loyalty to the church. Listen to verse 9 and watch. I love this. And watch as I take those who call themselves true believers but are nothing of the kind pretenders whose true memberships in the club of Satan watch as I strip off their pretensions and they are forced to acknowledge it's you that I've loved. Who is this club of Satan crowd that he's talking about in that scripture? Here's a text. Here in the text, they're called pretenders. These people probably belong to a group uh, known as Judaizers. Now, Judaizers spend a lot of time getting on Paul's case. Paul spends a lot of ink writing to churches about Judaizers. The Judaizers har harass Paul, and, and, and he spent a lot of time re refuting their claims, instructing the church about true salvation. Here's a couple examples. In Romans 3.20, it says, Our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. And then he says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, saving is all his idea, all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make or save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. Here's what Judaizers believed in. They believed in what I call plus theology, the gospel plus they, they just believe it wasn't enough for the, the, to have the gospel, but you had to plus that. And so here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to take the gospel, and they wanted to take all of the law, all of the law, all the ritualistic laws, and they wanted to add it to it. And so they were saying, we're better than you because we do the gospel and the law. The gospel was fulfilling the law. And Paul was saying there's no such thing as plus theology. There's no such thing as the gospel plus. You see it in our world today. People want to take the gospel and plus something to it. It's, and when you look at cults, they always take the gospel and they plus something. Look at your Jehovah's Witnesses, gospel plus. Look at the Latter-day Saints, gospel plus. There's always a gospel plus something else. And Paul says if anyone comes to you and preaches anything... But the gospel that I instructed you on, just, just go away from them. Move away from them. There's no such thing as gospel plus. They're still around today. Back then it was, in Jesus' day, it was plus food rituals will save me. Jesus plus circumcision will save me. Jesus plus tradition will save me. Not only did Judaizers teach this, is the way to be rightly connected to God. It seemed that they taught that this was the only way that God would love you. You had to do this plus. So it's the gospel plus works will save you. No, 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 no. It's the gospel that will save you. You do good works because you've been impacted and transformed by the gospel. And you're so appreciative of that, that, that you want to do good work because you want to further, and I want to further the gospel. In verse 10, Jesus says this, because you kept my word in passionate patience, I'll keep you safe from the time of testing that will be here soon all over the earth. Every man, woman, and child put to the test. How does hypocrisy or faithfulness best get revealed? When hypocrites exposed 
um, then we see what happens. And what this time of testing does is it begins to expose the hypocrites. It begins to expose the gospel plus people. So it's during times of testing, during trials, the, the true nature of who we are come out. I, I can't say this enough, that when we're squeezed, whatever's on the inside comes out. And you begin to see what's going on when we're squeezed. What happens when you're squeezed? What happens in your life when you're squeezed? What comes out when the time of trials and tests comes? What's happening in your life? That's a good indicator of who you are. What you do in tough times, what you do in times of testing, what you do when everything's not firing all the cylinders will give you a good sense and give me a good sense of who we are on the inside. Jesus says this, I know your true colors. Church, I already know about you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do is protect you in this season. So he's saying to the Philadelphians, the, the church there, because I know you are, because you, you stood the test of time, because you didn't give in when things are really, really tough, I'm going to protect you. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what Jesus is saying about pain and suffering for Christians. Because some people believe that this means that, that if you're doing everything the right way, that God's going to protect you and you're never going to go through any pain or suffering. That's not true. They were already going through pain. And suffering. The church had already been through a time of battering. You could tell from the tone of the letter that Jesus is trying to encourage them, trying to comfort them. The church had already been run over by the Judaizers and by culture. So it's not like Christians are immune from suffering. That's not what being said. And it's not like Jesus saying no more pain for the rest of time. But for this time of testing that's coming, he says, I'm going to hold you up. And I'll use this time to expose hypocrisy of the pretenders. And then the last thing he says, the last insight is, hold on. Hold on. I believe that when belongers, when Christian belongers begin to share about how God worked with them in a time of testing and how they were able to overcome, how they were able to get through a time of testing, it encourages other believers it encourages other belongers. And here's what we know about tough times. You're in some tough times. You just got out of some tough times or some tough times are on horizon. That's what we know about tough times. Verse 11, 12 reflect a call to continued perseverance. It's almost like he's saying to them, I know you've persevered. I know you've gone through it. I know the Judaizers are doing you in. I know the culture is doing you in. I know the Greeks don't really believe in your brand of religion. I know you're a small church and you feel insignificant, but keep on keeping on. When I was growing up, I had an older lady in my church. I called her a saint. And she would always come with this. She would always ask me to keep on keeping on. I thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Keep on keeping on. It's this call to continue perseverance, continue going strong, continue serving the Lord, continue being used by him, continue being transformed by him. Keep on keeping on. In verses 11 to 13, he says this, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a great, a, a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. Isn't it true that we can get distracted? And sometimes we can get distracted by good things and good people. Can you imagine the Judaizers as they kept on saying, God doesn't love you. If God loved you, then why is all this stuff happening to you? If God loved you, then why the earthquakes? If God loved you, why aren't you a big church? If God loved you, why don't you have a whole bunch of money? If God loved you, why isn't he meeting all your needs? Can you imagine how they would be distracted by that and how they would buy into this philosophy, what I call the health, wealth, and prosperity philosophy that says, if God loves you, he's going to do all these things for you. He says, don't, don't, don't fall for it. Hold tight so you're not distracted. And then he says this, I'll make each conqueror a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, a permanent position of honor, and then I'll write names on you, the pillars, the name of my God, the name of the city, God's city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, and my new name. Early, 
atmosphere, I mentioned the earthquakes in the region of Philadelphia would rock, would knock the pillars down, and all the residents would run outside. Just in case you don't think Jesus is writing to these people, listen to what he says. I'll make him a pillar, and he'll not go out from the sanctuary anymore. I'll make you a pillar. He's talking about stability and strength and prominence and honor. I'll make them a pillar. This church had a history of some name changes. In AD 17, when the earthquake came and decimated the whole city, Tiberius Caesar gave money and some tax incentives to rebuild the city. And as an expression of thanks, the city fathers uh, said they weren't going to call themselves Philadelphia anymore, any longer. They were going to call themselves Neo-Caesarea. In other words, this, the new city of Caesar. But that name only lasted for a little while, and it became tired, uh, became a kind of a tired name, and they went back to the name Philadelphia. Jesus says, my God name will be on you. There will be stability you won't have all these name changes. I'm going to put my name on you, and you can feel some permanence, he says. The city name will be on you. That's not going to change. My new name will be on you, and it's going to be forever. You know how I envision this? It's like me looking for my baggage at airports. And you know how the, you go, the carousel goes around, and all the bags look alike. And eventually you get to your bag with your name on it. And you pick the bag up and you say, that's mine. Have you ever taken a child and had a minor child fly, on the, go, fly by themselves? I remember taking Jasmine. We were going to let her go to Denver to visit her grandparents who were going to take her to a, a Barbados. And so we, you check her in and, and, they, and they have a flight attendant that's with her. And that flight attendant makes sure she gets on the flight and then she's told to stay there until a flight attendant comes and, and gets her. And then the person that she, she's going to had to give ID so they would give her to the right person. And I remember her coming back home. She had a great time in Barbados and she came back home and the flight attendant brought her to me. And I gave them my ID and said, that one's mine. Can you hear Jesus say? Because the, the name is written on you. It's a permanent name. Can you hear Jesus say, that one right there, that one's mine. Yeah, that, that one, she's mine too. And, and, and he's mine. And, and he's mine because he knows who's his, or his because he's written the name, his name on them. Can't you see it? Jesus, when he comes, just kind of looking over all the people and saying, I know my people. They have my name written on them. This message must have given strength and encouragement to the church of Philadelphia because history records for centuries and centuries. Many of the other churches that I've talked about passed away. They were gone. But the church in Philadelphia is the church of all of these churches that lasts the, last the longest time. It lasts all the way up into the fourth century. The Muslims come through there and it still lasts. The, Turk, the Turkish people came through and ransacked the area and the church kept on standing and it kept on growing. Without power, this church just kept on going. And he says to them, hold on, hold on. Can you hear him saying to you today, hold on? There's all kinds of stuff happening in our culture, but hold on. Don't give up. Don't be distracted. Don't give in. Don't listen to the Judaizers. There's no such thing as gospel plus. Hold on. Maybe today you're going through something and you're tempted to just let go and give in and give up. Would you hear Jesus say, hold on? Maybe your life is shaky, just like those pillars. Maybe you've gone through a thing or two. Can you hear him say, hold on? Maybe your health is failing or you've gotten a diagnosis that seems fatal. And you're tempted to give in and give up and he says, hold on. Maybe it's your marriage today. Things aren't the way they used to be. 
the connections aren't the way they used to be. And you're tempted to give in and to give up, to walk away. Can you hear him say, hold on? Maybe today, the reason why you're here in the auditorium or online is because you needed to hear Jesus say, to give you a pep talk, to let you know that he knows, to let you know that he's in charge and hold on. So he says to them, hold on, you're going to conquer. You're going to get a new name, stability. You're going you're gonna to be pillars. You're going to be pillars. Just hold on. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being the God who knows, who knows about our situation, the God who cares, the God who is in charge. So whatever the situation is today, God, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who, who understands what's going on. And you're the God who, who, can, who can step inside of our situation if, you, if we will allow you to, and you can make a difference. So matter what, no matter what the situation is today, Father, would you speak to your people in your small, still voice and say, hold on. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up on that child who's walked away, who seems to be doing their own thing. Keep on praying. Keep on loving. Keep on encouraging. Keep on influencing. Today, Father, there are some people who are listening to this. And they don't have a relationship with you. But they're not here by accident. They're not listening by accident. They didn't get online by accident. Your spirit was drawing them. Your grace was making it possible for them. And so today, Father, I, 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 just, uh, I just believe they can pray a prayer like this. God, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I can't figure it all out. I, I don't know it all, but, but I just believe that it's in submitting myself to you. It's in asking you to come and, and, and take control of my life that I will figure it all out. And so, Father, here I am, such as I am. Would you come and move into the, to, to the to neighborhood of my life? Would you forgive my rebellion, my sin, my doing my own thing? And would you live inside my life? And then there's some belongers, some believers who've been around for a long time, but they need to either reestablish a relationship or they need to go to the next level and fully sell themselves out or fully surrender to you. God, I just thank you that no matter where we are on the journey, you know, you hear, you understand. So have your way in our lives today. Thank you for the encouragement. Help us, Father, to hold on. It's in your name we pray, amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Thank you, Pastor James. And, you know, and kind of just the, I want to encourage you. If you've made a decision today, you know, you prayed those prayers wherever you were on the spectrum, whatever decision that you've made, you know, we were made to do this walk together in community. And so it's just a way as, you know, as a way to put a, a seal on it for whether it be accountability or whether it be for support. If you've made a decision today, just go to salemfields.com slash my decision. 
and uh, just let us know what decision that you've made so that we can come alongside you, we can support you, we can resource you, we can encourage you, pray for you. Because um, again, we were made to do this walk together. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, and make sure you do. And then also, if you are a guest with us, if you text SF Connect uh, to 94,000 uh, on your phone, uh, then you'll just get a quick connection card that pops up on your phone. Just fill that out. It takes literally five seconds, and then we'll have somebody reach out to you this week uh, just to be able to connect with you and talk to you and get to know you a little bit better. So we we'll just want to encourage you to do that, but if you are a guest with us, thank you so much for being here, and we would love to connect with you in community. Uh, again, salefields.com slash decision or text SF Connect to 94000 on your phone if you are a guest. And so we love you guys. We're praying for you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, and thanks for being a part of what God is doing here at Salem Fields. We'll see you guys next weekend. God bless.